Well, good morning. You guys can take a seat. We're going to get started here. On one of the Facebook posts, uh, first of all, I, can we hear it, up, hear it for the, uh, the creative team that does the backdrops and all the creative stuff at church? It's been very fun. One of the Facebook posts I saw was um, on looking at the album that we created was Shabby Road. I didn't, I don't know if we, you know, I mean, I don't know. So each week, one of the pastors is going to take two or three verses out of Third John. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Third John this morning. Also, we've invited Sean Post, who's the academic dean at Adelphia Bible College. He'll be here to share in this series with us as well. So we're in uh, Third John. I'm going to read the first eight verses just to give you some context. And then I'm actually sharing on just the first two verses. So let's read. I'll read First John. There's no chapters. It's just one. It's a short book. It's just verses. So Third John and the verse, first verse. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you just as you walk in the truth. And probably the most famous verse in this chapter, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well, because they went forth for his namesake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that they may become fellow workers for the truth. Let me pray. Father, I do pray as it's been prayed this morning that you would open our hearts and speak to us through your word. Lord, it's, your word will be talking about balance today and we get out of balance. So I pray that you would use your word as a diagnostic tool to show us how to be more in balance with love and truth and prosperity in our soul. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So as I've been looking at these first two verses, I've definitely been thinking the whole idea of balance. We were watching the kickoff uh, World Cup match with Ghana versus U.S., the first U.S. match. We were at a restaurant watching the game, and the Seattle Sounder, Dempsey, scores the first goal within the first 30 seconds of the match. And then a few minutes later, Ghana scores, and then we score the winning goal. And about that time, the waitress in the restaurant had all these plates balanced. I'm thinking balance in my mind. We're looking at these two subjects that God's balancing in these first two verses. The waitress had all these plates balanced and one of them fell off and crashed on the floor. And you know how that is in a restaurant. Everybody stops, takes a breath as if the world is going to stop turning. And then they all let out a big hoop because, hey, the USA was winning and it was like a celebration anyways. But the point is, as we look at these verses, it is really hard to balance our lives. And all of us are carrying a bunch of plates. Right? And, we're, and we're trying not to drop a plate, but it's easy to drop a plate. So let's go ahead. Let's dig into the, to the uh, verses. Right now, verse 1, the elder. Old people are cool. I mean, and we make jokes about old people, right? Because why? Because we're all becoming old people. So, so the story of an older woman on a plane, she sits down next to a young business executive and says... Hi, my name is Gertrude, and it's so nice to meet you. I'm flying to New York to visit my grandson for his third birthday, and I'm so excited. 
I remember when he was just a little thumpkin. He, he's already three, and it's really hard to believe he's the most adorable thing. And hold on, I might have a picture of him in my wallet. And oh, here he is. He's so adorable, and he's so cute when he says grandma on the phone. And after what seemed like two hours for the poor man sitting next to her, Gertrude seemed to realize that perhaps she was talking a bit too much. You know, I feel terrible. Here I am just talking and talking without letting you get a word in edgewise. Tell me, what do you think of my grandson? <laughs> and to the business guy, this, this, this was a little bit over the top, but to the little grandson, grandma's the coolest thing in the world, and the elder now is going to talk to Gaius, who he loves dearly, and it's like this, this love that God has for us, it's like he carries our picture around in his wallet. The, the word elder, it's not just meaning that he's old, because John's about 90 when he writes this, the Apostle John, but it's also a position in the church. We have elders here at Calvary Chapel South that give great leadership to our church. So John's an elder. He could have introduced himself. I'm John. I'm the Apostle John. I wrote First and Second John. This is Third John. I wrote the, I'm, I've got the manuscript for the book of Revelation. I'm, I'm like John. He just says, I'm, I'm the old guy. I'm, I'm, I'm John. I'm the elder. And then he says to beloved Gaius. That's just another way of saying my dear friend Gaius. We all have friends. We all have dear friends, hopefully. And we can sort of differentiate between our, our friends and our dear friends. Dear friends and ones that are beloved are ones whom we have a relationship with where there's a transparency. Right? We're with them for a couple hours having dinner. And we're talking about heartfelt truth issues in our life. And, and John says, the elder to the beloved Gaius. We don't know much about Gaius um, from the text. There's other Gaiuses in the Bible, but it doesn't tell us clearly which one he is. So really, this is all we know about Gaius. And you're going to find out more in the next weeks over the summer as different pastors and Sean shares. But this is just a synopsis of the book of Third John. We don't know much about Gaius except he's part of a church that has some problems. There's a guy in the church named Diotrephes, who you'll be introduced to later. And uh, he seems to be a power-hungry leader that's part of this church that Gaius attends who doesn't want anybody outside to come into the church. Doesn't want anybody on the outside, outside preachers or outside missionaries. He's just sort of got this power thing going. He doesn't want anybody to come in. And John, the elder, writes to Gaius, who must be some sort of influential person at the church, says, Gaius, you gotta, we got to straighten this out. We need to welcome traveling missionaries, outside Bible teachers. We need to be a welcoming place. That's kind of the perspective that's going on there. And then he says, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Now we have the two, the beginning of two different balancing acts that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about balancing love and truth. And then in the second verse, we're going to talk about balancing prospering in all things and being in good health and our souls prospering. So you can see we're going to look at this sort of balancing act. Imagine that waitress trying to balance all those plates and we drop them. And we're going to look to the Lord to see if he can guide us in how we can balance these things in our life. Truth is a major theme of 3 John. Uh, we, not, we looked at the verse, I have no greater joy than my children walk in truth. But we see the words truth and love in Ephesians 4.15. And that's the clearest point I could take you to this morning as we look at balancing two, these two things. It says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. We want to grow up and growing up in balancing love and truth. The problem is most of us are naturally uh, polarized in this issue. 
okay? Most of us are, some of us are the truth ones. Man, I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth, and I don't care if it hurts, and I'm telling you the truth. I don't care if I destroy you in the process. It's the truth, and don't tell me to mellow out. You know the guy that's this, this intense truth guy, and it tends to end up being hurtful, wounding, divisive, argumentative. And then you got love. I love you. I just love you. I'm not going to tell you anything that hurts you because I just love you, and we're just love. And that can sort of be a sort of a shallow sentimentalism that's almost like not that deep. And so John is saying, here's these two things. Balance them out in your life. So first one, we should emphasize speaking the truth. We should do that. We're going to talk about the two different and contrast them. But first of all, we should emphasize speaking the truth. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Classic verse on this on this idea. When we were in Panama, we worked in a tribe, spent 12 years learning the language, studying the culture. In t- it took us 10 years to figure out that in the Bugletti worldview, the tribe that we worked in, the perfect friend was someone who will never say anything negative to you. That's the perfect friend. And it made sense. When we shared these verses in Bible class, it was like, wow, this is a revelation because Really, the perfect friend is the person that loves us enough to speak truth into our lives. To speak truth and to say the things that are hard to hear. Acts 20.20 says, how I kept back nothing that was helpful. That's the, that's the scriptural encouragement to speak the truth. Um, my wife and I were newly married in uh, Wisconsin. We were at a small Bible college there. Really small Bible college. I mean, our men, or our, the marriage dorm the rooms did not include a sink or a bathroom or a telephone. We had this little teeny sitting area and a counter where we could get plastic jugs of water from down the hall, a phone booth down the hall, and it was this very small area. But there were some really strong families that lived right next to us, and we'd see them at the fountain to get the water for washing our dishes. Um, We'd see them in the bathroom when we went to use the bathroom. It was just this real close-knit area that's where my wife and I learned how to fight really quietly because everybody could hear everything. It was great training, right? So I remember one time we were inviting the, the leadership of the, of the school, the Bible college, over to our apartment for lunch. And Wendy said we were, we were going to have sandwiches. And I was convinced that that was an inappropriate way to have the leaders of the Bible school over to our house for lunch. So we went out with our friends, Rick and Jane Sawyers, who lived down the hall, and they had the cutest little kids, and they had a family that we looked at, and we said, that's how we want our family to be. So we go out to lunch, we're sitting down for lunch, and I begin to share with Rick and Jane, you know, this, this horrible thing that, that my wife has suggested. And I'll tell you what, man, the truth will set you free, but sometimes it'll make you really mad first. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The truth will set you free, but sometimes it'll make you mad, because Rick and Jane both just let me have it with what are you thinking? I was completely wrong in the way I was looking at it, but I needed that other family, that other couple who could speak truth into my life. And another opportunity that I think about with speaking truth is I have the, the, the opportunity to speak truth into the life of our middle school students here at Calvary Chapel South. And this is an, a, a, an era in time for middle school students when truth is, hey, if everybody says it's true, all my friends say it's true. That makes it true. And I have the opportunity to speak truth to this whole middle school class that truth doesn't really get swayed by whether everybody believes it or doesn't believe it. 
Truth is truth, and that it is so important that we emphasize speaking the truth. Now, on the other side of the coin, we're balancing things, right? Plates in our hand. Speak the truth. Tell me the truth. Tell me things about myself. Be honest with me. On the other hand, speak the truth in love. And I had, boy, I found so many illustrations for that because it seems like, is that not where we, we tend to fail a little bit more, is, is the way we package the truth? So the first example I found in the book, Marriage Takes More Than Love by Jack and Carol Mayhall. Carol tells a great story about one day she's in the kitchen with this young married lady. She's been married for years to Jack, and there's this young married lady. They're in the kitchen, and Jack comes in the kitchen. He goes, where's my keys? She says, they're right on the counter. He says, those aren't my keys. She says, yes, they are your keys because I made copies, and I know those are your keys. He takes his keys, and he leaves. And, and the, the young married lady is standing next to her, you know, and she kind of looks at her with this look on her face. She says, Carol, would you pray for me? And Carol says, sure, what, what would you like me to pray for you about? He says, when my husband talks to me like that, I feel like he's angry with me. And I, I read that illustration, and I thought, you know, we can speak the truth, but sometimes the way we say it, if we say it in anger, um, I was thinking of a Bible example. Look at Moses when the children of Israel, in, in Exodus or, uh, excuse me, Numbers chapter 20, the children of Israel are totally just on Moses' case rebellious, complaining, questioning his leadership. And Moses, at the second time he's supposed to get water for him, the Lord says to him, just speak to the rock. And what is Moses so, why does he not get to go into the promised land other than the way he spoke? Was it true that the children of Israel were totally rebellious brats? Absolutely. But he gets mad at him and he says, you rebels, and he publicly speaks really angrily to them. Then he hits the rock and he's in a rage. And there's this clear biblical example of speaking the truth, but not speaking it in love. Another example I found, Heath Lambert shares a story. He was a, he's a pastor and he shared a story. Catherine, he said, is a wonderful woman in our congregation. A few weeks ago, Catherine and I had a conversation. She talked to me about her struggle with sharing her opinions in a way that does not seem domineering. She's aware of a tendency of her own life to come across bossy, preachy, overbearing, and judgmental. And she asked me for advice. And Heath Lambert, I don't, I don't know who he is, but I read his response. I thought, that's spot on. He said, look to Romans 12.3 where it says, avoid thinking more highly of yourself than you ought, and the way you speak to people won't be so difficult. The reality is that for most of us, our words are wrong before they ever leave our mouths because they're generated from an arrogant, self-exalting heart. My ideas are correct, yours are wrong. My motives are good, yours are suspect. When words are drawn out of, a, out of this poisonous well, they'll never be spoken in love because even if they're technically accurate, they're coming from the wrong place. A couple more illustrations. I don't know why there were so many on this particular subject other than do we not speak harshly and speak in a way that's not loving or share the truth but share it in a way that we get in trouble? Keith Miller shares about when he was a new Christian. He decided he was going to be absolutely honest with his wife. So he and his wife, Mary Ellen, had just moved to a new city, had a bunch of extra expenses, and his wife, who was totally stressed out, decided to go buy a new dress. She tried it on for him, and she asked Keith how he liked it. And again, he's going to be totally honest. He said, hey, I saw a girl downtown wearing that in a seedy part of town, and I didn't like it then, and I don't like it now. 
And his wife just silent, leaves, never wears the dress, which made him even more mad because she bought it and never wore it. So she glares at him, and he said he learned something that day. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Where the couch is, that's what he learned that day. No, he learned something that day. He needed to see beyond the words and understand the real question that his wife was asking him. Mary Ellen had been wanting to know on a deep level, am I attractive to you? Is it all right that I impulsively bought this dress just because I feel frantic and dowdy right now? Do you love me? And these were the real questions, and the true answer to all of those was yes. A couple more illustrations, and we'll kind of continue on, but... Tim and Joy Downs, I wasn't going to share this illustration because it's, a, it's an example of a dysfunctional family that almost seems over the top. We're all dysfunctional, right? But this one seems over the top. But as I prayed about it, I thought maybe there's some truth in, in, in what this is talking about that can help us. Tim and Joy Downs share a story that's, uh, they said, after one of our marriage conferences, a woman came up to us with a complaint about her husband. We live in the city, she said. My husband and I like to go walking together downtown. Sometimes when we're out for a walk on an, on an, on a, sometimes when we're out for a, a walk, an attractive woman will pass by. When my husband, when that happens, my husband will make some comment like, "Now there's a good-looking gal." She said, "I hate it. I hate it when he does that, and I tell him so. And whenever I complain, he says, "Look, that's just what comes to my mind when I see an attractive woman. I'm just telling you the truth about what I think. What do you want me to do? Lie to you?" And again, I really like the answer that um, Tim and Joy shared. They said, um, this, this woman's husband is an honest man. He's also a crude and thoughtless man. Honesty is a wonderful quality, but uncontrolled honesty is like uncontrolled heat. It can injure and even destroy. And then, then they, they make a couple comments that really made me think about honesty and, and truth being two virtues that are coupled together in the Bible for a reason, to give us that balance in our lives. And then they said something else that I really had to think about that Words are like perfume, and the bottle that the word that the perfume comes in is like the way we speak the words. So you look at some of the perfume out there, it's probably not as expensive as the bottle that it comes in. And there's this way that we speak our words. It's like the beautiful shape of a perfume bottle that our words and the way we speak it together, we find that balance. So the first part of our message is talking about balancing love and truth. And you can't close that off without quoting Brad Paisley, okay? Brad Paisley, I think this, he based this off of 1 Peter 4, 8, which says, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. So Brad Paisley's song, That's Love, I'm just going to read a few parts of it. There ain't a woman in the world that wants to hear the word yes when she, said, when she, asks, you if, when she asks if you think she looks chubby in that dress. And if she cooks all day, you better eat it with a smile it doesn't matter if it tastes like a bad gravy on a Goodyear tire. Because that's love. You'll see, we all commit a little bit of perjury. Well, it's the very same thing that she does to you when she doesn't bring up the 15 pounds that you need to lose. And every time she runs her fingers through your hair, she says she kind of likes the way there's not as much of it there. That's not a lie. That's not a lie. That's love. And you say, I like it when your mama comes to visit. So the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, he says, have balance and speak truth, but speak it in love. Okay, the next part we're going to shift gears a little bit is where it says, um, 
I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health. Now, don't, don't build your whole doctrine off of this one sentence because this is a greeting, okay? It's a greeting in, those, in the New Testament days that said basically, hey, how are you? Hope things are going well. But it is a doctrine that you can find the balance in Scripture about prosperity and your soul. We remodeled our basement a few months back. We got new shag carpet and we put the big screen TV up, put on Fiddler on the Roof, which it didn't even dawn on me, but that's a picture of balance right? This guy on a roof trying to play a violin and balance. We put on filler on the roof. The grass is all mowed and we're barbecuing and God's blessed us. God has blessed us in this church with these blessings, this prosperity. And I don't think, I don't find one place in the scriptures that makes us feel the least bit remorseful for enjoying the good things that God has blessed us with. It says in Timothy And the whole verse is funny. We read the part of it that we like. It says, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. The living God who gives us all things richly to enjoy. My theology does not have any any confusion about enjoying the blessings that God gives us. God says that the man who finds a wife finds a good thing. These are some blessings that God gives us. And yet... I also have a theology that can look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9 and look at Paul. And Paul says to the Lord three times, hey, I really want this thing, God. I ask him for him once. You ever ask multiple times for something? You know, I ask for a second time. I ask for, and the third time you're like, not sure, but you're still, you really want it. So you keep asking. Paul said, I asked the Lord three times if he would take this thorn away from me. I don't know what it was. It could have been his eyesight. That's what some scholars think. But Paul said three times, God, can you heal me? Can you take this thorn away from me? And my theology has room for this balancing act that I can enjoy the blessings that God has given me. And when God says no, I can say, okay, God, I trust you with that. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 says, He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly will I rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. We ask for stuff, and we say, Lord, I trust you. If you say no, I'm good with that. Paul said, I've learned to abound, I've learned to abase. I've learned to have much, and I've learned to have have little. So the whole idea of balancing, um, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as what? Just as your soul prospers. And let's... Let's talk about this because this one's going to get a little bit painful because where's the scale? I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in good health. Man, we are overburdened with the plates in our arm on the side of trying to take care of job and home and family and, and prosper in our health and go to the gym. And, we're, and then on this other side of the scale, can I speak to us just for a moment about that your soul may prosper? What is a soul? You know, I was so encouraged. I looked up in some of my Bible dictionaries about what is a soul, and it said, because I was sitting there thinking, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for many years, and I'm having a hard time defining it. And I looked up, the first definition was a complex constellation of meanings. That's true. If you look in your Bible and look up the word soul, there's words, it's used in so many different ways. But I'm going to kind of boil it down. Let's take two simple things about the soul that we all understand. Number one, it's that inner person the inner part of us, the deeper part. And number two, it's the non-physical part. 
Pretty straightforward stuff, right? The inner part, the non-personal part, or non-physical part. We're talking about how does the soul prosper. Psalms 42.1 really deals with that inner part of us, that deep part. It says in Psalms 42.1, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my so pants my soul for you, God, down at the deep level. Now, my body pants for Cherry Garcia ice cream. My soul pants for God, but my body pants for Cherry Garcia ice cream in my recliner chair. Like, I come home, and I walk up the stairs, and there's, like, this magnetic force that's, like, drawing me to the recliner chair, and as I'm headed to it, there's a little bit of magnetic space that allows me to go to the refrigerator first and then hit the chair. And the, the thing we're talking about is there's our soul is that inner part. The body does not have deep longings in the same way that the soul has deep longings. So the soul can be bitter. We look at um, 1 Samuel 1.10 when there was a bitterness of heart when someone really wanted to have a child that they didn't have. We look at 1 Samuel 18, David and Jonathan, their souls were knit together. We look at Mark talking about love God with all your soul. We talk about Matthew. You will find rest for your souls. That's this deep inner place. Number two, the soul is the non-physical part. 2 Corinthians 5.1 says, We know that if our early house, earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God. It says this building, this, building, this tent, this body, it's just a tent. You go camping, as soon as it's time to go home, what happens? That tent is packed up and done because you're going to a better place. And the better place isn't your recliner. It's going to be with Jesus. So then let's, look at, let's ask the question, I mean, really, really basic question. How does the soul prosper? Um, obviously, if we have never received Christ as our Savior, we are out of balance. And that's the number one thing, to just raise the white flag. I mean, some of us have been there, right? Raise the white flag and say, I am done fighting against you, God. I want to yield my life to you. And if you're in that case here this morning, talk to somebody. We'll have a time of prayer afterwards. Talk to somebody and, and, and get that balance figured out. But as far as our daily walk with God, I think, I think really the, the soul prospers primarily when we think of doing stuff for other people. I think that, I think that for me, when I kind of try to boil it down. I looked at one verse that said, James, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. We just got done saying it's okay to enjoy pleasure, to enjoy the, the abundant life that God gives us. But I think if all of our whole balance in life is about pleasure, we missed it. I think if we're about helping others, and first and foremost, that's our family, and then I think it reaches beyond to somebody that when we help them, it is nothing to do with getting something back. Okay, like, like there's a couple verses that talk about the grass withering. First uh, Peter says, uh, or first James 1.11 says, For no sooner has the sun risen with burning heat than it withers the grass. You guys all have seen that in your own front yards lately, right? It's starting to happen. It's summertime. I saw the first withering patch, and I thought, I must have spilled weed killer. It's not weed killer. It's just time for the whole grass to wither. The sun's come out. And the, if, if all you're invested in in this whole world is your prospering, that is going to be like your grass. The sun comes out, and it withers. Your soul, on the other hand, is investing in something that's giving to others outside yourself. 
I was talking to one of the secretaries at one of the local elementary schools, and she was telling me about, they had the sixth grade uh, um, gathering where they all get together for an assembly, and everybody's all dressed up real nice, and one of the girls who's from a, a difficult family came into the office and said, can I use your phone? I said, sure. She calls her mom. She says, you know, she can, the secretaries can kind of hear, you know, you know, mom, I, you know, it's the, it's the award assembly. You know, can you bring me my clothes? You're, and she's trying to talk quiet, but they can hear, oh, you're not coming. And the girl leaves and goes and cries in the bathroom. You know, we're at the point where we're about to adopt Kent Elementary as a school. And I think if you talk about soul prosper, we have the ability here at this church right next door to adopt this elementary school and minister to them and reach out to them. The principal of the school is going to be here in September. Paige Meyer is going to be sharing a little bit about how we as a church can adopt a public school. But I would say if we want to prosper in our soul, we reach out beyond what just benefits us personally. And I heard, I heard another testimony of one of the kids that they have this mentor program. And, one, you know, the mentor program, usually the kid that always gets to sit with the principal because he's doing things that's inviting him into the principal's office. They get a mentor. So one of us could be a mentor. We go over, we meet with the kid. And I heard about one of the kids, the mentor found out he likes to play chess. So he, he just goes over once a week or once a couple, every couple weeks, plays chess with one of the kids at the elementary school. And when that kid is walking down the hall and he sees his mentor coming in, it's like his eyes light up. And it's like this is prospering of the soul. So kind of in conclusion, but not really because I still have a little bit more to share, but kind of I wanted to say that word because it makes everybody feel better. In conclusion, (laughs) how do you diagnose what you need? How do you diagnose what's out of balance in your life? Okay, you, you know, if it's your physical life, and you get a physical, which most of you probably, you guys probably, it's like, yeah, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do that. But if you do that, you go get a physical, how does the doctor balance your life? How does he give you the diagnosis? He just takes a blood thing. You get this little letter in the mail, and you open it up, and you look at it. And it's like your doctor saying, what, do you eat Snickers for breakfast? Look at your blood sugars. What's the deal here? Your cholesterol. Did you buy a fat, deep fat fryer at your house? Stop that. Your exercise levels, okay, that's within the range, 20 minutes a day, three times a week. And there's this real clear diagnostic tool that gives you what you need to do. And then we go out and we exactly obey it and we all have balanced physical lives. It's really hard. It is really, really hard to balance our physical lives. Now, spiritually, you just can't get a diagnostic blood test. But that's why we're here today. Right? That's, why I, that's why I'm here. That's why we're here. Because this is our diagnostic time. We open the word and we look at verses like Hebrews 4.12 that says the word of God is living and powerful. And check it out. In this verse, you've probably met, read it a million times. It talks about the soul. I, I just was really blessed by that as we're talking about balancing the soul. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And beyond just having the word, we have good friends. We have counselors. Hopefully there's a, a younger married couple and an older married couple that hang out. Hopefully there's singles that hang out with couples and families that we're mentoring, crossing over those boundaries and helping each other, and we're diagnosing what we need. But when you get the diagnostic, and God does speak to your heart, hopefully this morning God's speaking to your heart, to my heart, then how do you fix it? 
How do you, how do you go about actually fixing this imbalance problem? If, you were a, if we were a tire, you take it down to the tire factory, they put it in that machine, it spins for a couple sections, the lasers come up, show them where to put the lead weights, they pound the lead weights in the right place, and the tire that was going ding, 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 and driving you crazy, and that's what our life is like when we're out of balance. Our spiritual life is out of balance. It's like everything's bouncing. You put those lead weights on, and boom, the car's, but it's not that easy. I would consider for us getting our lives balanced, it's more like tuning a bicycle wheel. You know, you got all these spokes, and it's like, I am so strung out tight, loose in this side. This side, I'm pretty loosey-goosey tight in that side. It's like this tightening process of adjusting us and getting us into the right adjustment. But my, as I, as I thought about the point I want to make here this morning, I, my doctor doesn't tell me any new news when I go to him. Like, I don't go to the doctor, and I'm, like, shocked that my cholesterol is high. I can't believe that. I don't think you're shocked here this morning that, that, that if I say what's in balance in your life, that, that you may prosper in all things and be in health or that your soul may prosper. I don't think you're shocked that the scales are tipped. Here's the question, that really kind of a motivating question. What do we stand to gain or lose by being out of balance or by getting into balance? Now, when the doctor sat me down and said, okay, here's the deal. Your cholesterol's out of whack, and if you don't get this thing figured out, you're going to have to get knee surgery because this weight is affecting your knees. I'm like, I'm like listening at that point. I'm like totally attentive going, I get it. Okay, I'm motivated. Well, here's the deal. When your life's out of balance, when my life's out of balance, and we are all about stuff, all about prospering, all about, we make some of the stupidest life decisions we could ever make. Okay, and there's crossroads in, your, in our life when we are at that crossroad and our life's out of balance and we choose our career over our family. The movie out, Million Dollar Arm, is a great movie. That's the whole theme of that movie or one of the core themes. You've got this agent who's crazy about money in his career and about to make really stupid decisions about relationship. When our lives are out of balance and we're not prospering in our soul, we make decisions that will affect the rest of our lives. And some specific things we can do, just practical. Uh, husbands, praying with your wives. Or come to the Saturday morning prayer meeting, 8 o'clock here at church. I mean, it's not like any, any re- remotely legalistic thing. It's just you want your life to be balanced? Come be in prayer. Be, pr- be praying with other folks. Um, get your kids to VBS. That is one of the most spiritually balancing times. The whole summer hanging out or a whole week in the summer to hang out around the Word of God. Um, summer barbecues, we're going to do those on Wednesday nights. Aggressively study your Bible. I mean aggressively. Take your Bible, divide it into five points, put sticky notes in, and date it. And then go back there and go, man, I have not read through the Gospels for three years. What, am I crazy? Get aggressive about it. Date it, put, put a note. The first of the Gospels, you have four Gospels, date it and read through the Gospels and get back there and go, okay, I read through those in three months or a year or whatever. Get aggressive about studying the Scriptures and then find ways to, to get out there and connect with in serving. The community mill, World Relief is right around the corner. I was at World Relief having um, a little bit of a conversation with the new director there and we're sitting in his office and looking out the window. It's right across from Carpenitos and behind him, just walking up and down in front of World Relief, 
are people from all over the world that would love nothing better than to meet somebody and be in someone's home here. This is, a, this is a way to change life and to prosper on the other side. So we began by talking about the elder, right? The elder, John. Old people have some good advice. There's one last thing about an old person. It says, I've sure gotten old. I've had two bypass surgeries, a hip replacement, new knees, fought prostate cancer and diabetes. I'm half blind. Can't hear anything quieter than a jet engine. Take 40 different medications that make me dizzy, winded, and subject to blackouts have bouts with dementia, have poor circulation, hardly feel my hands and feet, can't remember if I'm 85 or 92, have lost all my friends, but thank God I still have my driver's license. <laughs> Stand with me. Let's, let's pray. I'm going to spend a little bit of time in prayer. Just that God would bless us and help us in this, this balancing difficulty, and the worship team can come up and share a little bit. Father, we, we would pray that you would help us Help us in a deep way, Lord, not just to see that we're out of balance. Lord, we know that. We know that we spend the the great percentage of our energy and our time trying to fix up our houses, get our jobs going, taking care of all the needs and the driving and the cooking and the cleaning and and the stuff of life. Lord, we know that that is the thing that is most on our minds. But Lord, I pray that you would, you would motivate our hearts today to see the great gain, the great benefit in being men and women who have a deep commitment to seeing our souls prosper. Lord, I pray you'd give us good friends like Gaius who will speak truth into our lives. Help us to want to have the truth spoken into our lives, Lord. We pray that what comes out of our mouths would not come from a heart that thinks so highly of ourselves, but instead what comes out of our mouths would come out of a heart it's humble and broken and passionate for you and longing after you like a deer longs for and pants for the water. Lord, heal the marriages that the tone in the marriage is unloving. Lord, we don't want our families, we want our homes to be places of peace. We pray for the hours and the energy that we spend with this life, Lord, that you would do the diagnostics, use your word, and Help us to walk in balance with speaking the truth in love and that our souls would prosper in all things and we'd be in good health and our, and our souls would prosper. In Jesus' name, amen.